Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. So Joe Biden is officially running for re-election, huh? Or at least that's what I gather from the Twitter video his handlers put out. The show starts now. What better way for our sleepy basement president to announce he's running for re-election than to put out a video on Twitter at 6 a.m. when we know damn good and well he ain't even awake at 6 a.m. But here it is in all its uh, glory. Freedom. Personal freedom is fundamental to who we are as Americans. There's nothing more important, nothing more sacred. That's been the work of my first term, to fight for our democracy. This shouldn't be a red revolution protect our rights, to make sure that everyone in this country is treated equally and that everyone is given a fair shot at making it. But you know, around the country, MAGA extremists are lining up to take on those bedrock freedoms. Cutting Social Security that you paid for your entire life while cutting taxes for the very wealthy. Dictating what health care decisions women can make. Banning books and telling people who they can love all while making it more difficult for you to be able to vote. When I ran for president four years ago, I said we're in a battle for the soul of America, and we still are. The question we're facing is whether in the years ahead, we have more freedom or less freedom, more rights or fewer. I know what I want the answer to be, and I think you do too. This is not a time to be complacent. That's why I'm running for re-election. Let's finish this job. I know we can. Because this is the United States of America. There's nothing, simply nothing we cannot do if we do it together. <laughs> Joe didn't even have the decency to announce in person or even be awake when his puppeteers put out the frickin' tweet. We know this because Jen Psaki flat out told us he doesn't do anything before 9 a.m. To be fair, he doesn't do a whole lot after 9 a.m. either, but still. And what a video it was, all about freedom, patriotism, union workers, and black people, all categories he doesn't actually give a rat's ass about. But hey, looks good, Joe. I especially love the still images of you looking completely and utterly lost. I guess your team didn't have a whole lot to work with. And apparently he's ditched the build back better plan because he's built nothing and literally nothing is better. So now it's let's finish the job, which is actually more honest given we can all just fill in the blanks for ourselves. Let's finish the job, America. Inflation is bad. It could be worse. Let's finish the job. The border is wide the hell open. Millions of illegals have poured in, but let's finish the job. Crime is skyrocketing and lawlessness is off the charts, but everyone isn't dead yet, so let's finish the job. Russia has invaded Ukraine. China has made moves in the South China Sea. North Korea is testing missiles, and major countries are ditching our currency, but let's finish the job. Or his personal favorite, Hunter and I have made a lot of money off this White House, but there's more where that came from, so let's finish the job. This president is a walking, sorry, stumbling disaster, and his vice president might be even worse. But hey, let's give him another four years to completely dismantle America and finish the job. 
I don't care who you are or what party you're registered to. If you would seriously vote for Joe Biden again, you are objectively a moron. Still ahead, the Biden crime family cover-up continues, but will anyone actually face any real consequences? I've got John Solomon with me next to break down what you need to know. 50 former national intelligence folks who said that what this he's accusing me of is a Russian plant. They have said that this is, has all the care. Four, five former heads of the CIA, both parties, say what he's saying is a bunch of garbage. Oh, yes, that bogus letter from the 51 top-level intelligence officials who smelled Russian disinformation or, more accurately, wanted Joe to be elected and worked on his behalf. And it turns out the FEC, that's the Federal Election Commission, had those same suspicions that the Biden camp orchestrated the letter before Mike Morrell even testified before the House Judiciary Committee. So basically, it was an open secret. And still, even after a mountain of evidence, I want to know, is anyone going to jail? Joining me now with his take is editor-in-chief of Just the News, John Solomon. John, it's great to have you. Good to be with you, Tommy. So you've been tracking all of this. I wish that the mainstream media cared to cover Biden family corruption. But of course, last week we got the information about now knowing Mike Morrell and knowing that our intelligence agencies were essentially working on behalf of the Biden campaign. But I want to know, is this going to go anywhere now? Or is it just another thing where we get a headline, we know there's shady dealings, and we all forget about it in two days? Well, a lot's going to depend on what Congress does with this information. Congress can use the power of embarrassment, the powering of shaming, to maybe force some things. Now, there was an FEC complaint filed by President Trump's campaign that alleged that they thought the Biden campaign had orchestrated this letter. That was filed before Morrell's testimony came out, and they knew actually it did involve the Biden campaign. In fact, the Biden campaign drove the process. That clip you just showed, you know, the president falsely tries to pretend that letter is some organic intelligence event that just happened to support him. It's just the opposite. The president's team prompted it, starting with the Secretary of State, Anthony Blinken, who uh, first reached out to Morrell, got the ball rolling. Then the presidential campaign was actually coordinating the media release on this and the attacks. And so they portrayed during the final job interview that Joe Biden had with the American people, that last debate, this, this was an organic thing. It was a false portrayal. Now, Anthony Blinken has some questions that has to be answered. Uh, Jim Jordan asked those the other day. If he doesn't respond, will the House Foreign Affairs Committee subpoena him? Those sort of decisions will decide whether there is more action, more pressure to maybe make someone resign, make someone uh, face some sort of charges. The most likely outcome at the FEC is just like Hillary Clinton, who hid her expenditures on uh, the, the Steele dossier. You know, at some point, the Biden campaign will be fined a large amount of money. They'll write a check and it'll go away. So the enforcement matter at most will probably be a fine. But the power of shame, the idea that intelligence, the, that the Secretary of State misled us for the last two years, that could result in some political consequences here in Washington. Apparently gone are the days of Watergate where something like this could actually lead to the impeachment and resignation of a sitting president. Yeah. Apparently that doesn't matter if your last name is Clinton or Biden or if you have a D behind your name. I think a lot of Americans are rightfully really frustrated by this because we're so sure. tired of all this information, whether it be big tech suppressing the Hunter Biden story, or now we know intelligence agencies working with the Biden campaign, or when you just talk about the mountains of evidence that we have from that laptop about the shady business dealings in China and Ukraine. Americans are so yeah. tired of the evidence piling up and yet nothing happens. 
How do they get around the whole notion of election interference? That's been a hot topic for the last two years. President Trump is facing indictment in Georgia over election interference. But how right. does this not qualify as the same or, quite frankly, much worse? Listen, the suppression of the Hunter Biden laptop story, and quite frankly, going all the way back to 2019 when I broke the original stories at the Hill about the Hunter Biden uh, pay-to-pay scheme and, and Joe Biden firing the prosecutor, there was a concerted effort in which spies, by the way, not Russian spies, not uh, Iranian spies or Chinese spies, American spies intervened in our own election. They put their thumb on the scale of our election by falsely portraying that there was no scandal of a Hunter Biden, that Joe Biden hadn't done anything wrong, Joe Biden wasn't even involved, and oh, the laptop that would show all those things was disinformation when in fact the FBI already knew the laptop was authentic. They had already document exploited it by the summer of 2020 and were taking evidence from it and questioning witnesses about it. They knew the laptop was real. The ODNI said the laptop was real, and yet Joe Biden and these cooperative 51 spies were willing to put their intelligence reputations, the credentials we gave them as American taxpayers to intervene and interfere in this election. It is the greatest form of censorship and uh, intervention by the American government in election that anyone can remember. John, do you have any indication that this pay-to-play scheme involving Hunter and the big guy is still ongoing? Because we know that just the other week, Hunter Biden accompanied our president to Ireland. We know that he still attends functions with the president, obviously still sure. very close to the president. He's not hiding in a hole as he rightfully should be. He's out there in the public just flaunting all of his scandals and investigations. But do you have any indication that this is still ongoing, that there is still money that this family is making off their influence, off their last name, off this country? Right now, most of the business apparatus where Hunter Biden carried out this scheme from 2010 about the, and it's very important to realize, Hunter Biden starts these operations because he gets a contact from his father through Eric Schwerer and a, a cohort in his business saying, uh, Joe Biden, the vice president, by the year, by that time, only one year into the Obama presidency. So he's barely in the vice presidential office. He wants to start exploring his earning powers. And that's what set Hunter Biden in motion. That is clear in the documents on the laptop. Joe Biden's desire for wealth drives Hunter Biden into a large business set of schemes. We can't lose sight of that. I mean, the president's going to try to say my drug addicted son got wayward. That's not true. The vice president pushed his son and his business partner to figure out his earnings potential. And that's what drives this thing. But that apparatus that was built, Rosemont, Seneca, uh, Scanado, all these different companies that they created have all been dried up. There doesn't appear to be an infrastructure right now where the Biden family has money coming in. The one place where a lot of people have concern is the art artwork, right? It doesn't seem like Hunter Biden's a particularly talented artist, certainly doesn't have any history in it. And yet we know there have been some sales and some art pitches, and we don't know who the buyers are yet. Uh, that's the one place I think people are still focused on. We may get answers from James Comer. What about Ukraine, though? I think people forget that we're still hemorrhaging our hard-earned tax dollars over to Ukraine. And I think people forget yeah. that China was a part of this, Ukraine was a part of these conversations. Have you seen anything that could link our current policy of endlessly funding Ukraine with the interests of the Biden family and, more importantly, the Biden family portfolio of you know income? Well, uh, let's think about what we lived through the last few months and just ask ourselves a question that— Biden family put us in this position to ask this question. 
by their untoward activities, by their business dealings, without seeing the conflict of interest that State Department officials saw. They were pitching China, one of our adversaries. They were pitching Ukraine, one of our important allies, for money at a time when Joe Biden had the portfolio to oversee them as vice president. And now we're left to wonder, did we not shoot down that satellite balloon when it was doing figure eights over our most sensitive nuclear installations because Joe Biden was worried China might have something on him? Did we get into the war with Ukraine uh, and Russia because we felt like the Ukrainians had something to hide from us? Um, uh, Zelensky did a favor for him. Having those questions, whatever the answer is, the fact that we have those questions tells you why so many people think the Biden family is compromised, and we don't know the answer to that. What we do know, and I'm working on something. Remember, the first impeachment of Donald Trump was about Ukraine, right? And there was a story given to us by the State Department, by us national security officials, of what Joe Biden did and didn't do in Ukraine over the firing of the prosecutors. I have continued to pursue that story relentlessly. I've recently got documents that, uh, that uh, I won under FOIA lawsuits and from sources who walked them out of the State Department. In a few weeks, we're going to be able to lay out a very powerful story that maybe what was told the American people under oath, what was portrayed in the congressional uh, testimony of the first impeachment trial was not true. We these are the government's own documents. These are documents that the Trump team apparently weren't given for the defense of their impeachment, but we're going to make them public in a few weeks and people are going to compare the testimonies. Some of those people are now still in government with what the actual facts are in these documents. And there are going to be some serious questions. That may be one of the things that people are look at and say, well, if Ukraine was in on faking this story, did we pay them back by getting in this war in some way that maybe our security interest didn't dictate? Again, we don't know the answers, but the fact that we have the questions is exactly why Joe Biden and his family should have avoided the business deals that they ran. Oh, well, they could have avoided them. They should have avoided them. But why? When you know you can get away with something, when you watch what the Clinton family did running roughshod over sure. everything for so many years, why wouldn't they take advantage? Last question for you. Is there anything sure. in your investigations and your reporting that might disqualify a Joe Biden from another run in 2024? Anything that bad that even if the American public doesn't care, that could quite possibly land him in some real hot water that could be really problematic for his reelection? Listen, he's still in the news media protection racket, right? Half of the things that uh, are legitimate scandals and had they been written about any other president, by the way, I even think President Clinton, they would have covered this more aggressively. This media doesn't do it. One exception, obviously, the IRS whistleblower story that I broke last week, the mainstream media really did pick that up. That's a good thing. But in general, most of the details of the Biden shakedown operation are not before the most of the American people because of the funnel and, and uh, censorship that na uh, national news media continue to give them. But there is a most important fundamental question. Joe Biden looked into the camera in 2019 and 2020, and he said, China isn't our enemy. That wasn't true. And it's clearly not true after the balloon incident and the Taiwan saber rattling. He looked in the camera and said, I had nothing to do with my son's business dealings. That's not true. He said, I never benefited from anything my president, my son did. He never paid me for anything. That is not true, according to the evidence of the laptop. Now, in 2020, Joe Biden got away with those because people thought the laptop was fake thanks to those 51 uh, intelligence experts we just talked about. Today, they know the laptop is real. And I think the biggest disqualifier that Joe Biden is going to have in this upcoming race is his words 
honest, uh, straight-talking, middle-class Joe was actually a wealthy uh, autocrat who was shaking down foreign powers for money, and he lied to the American people about it. If Republicans can make that issue and make it stick, that will be the most disqualifying thing. People want to trust their president, and now there is strong reason to believe he lied to them just to get the job, including his campaign manufacturing a letter and pretending it was organic when, in fact, it was contrived. Oh, I, I bet the Biden family wishes that Hillary Clinton and her hammers were around when that laptop was <laughs> discovered, because maybe they wouldn't be in this mess, but it probably wouldn't matter anyway. John, thank you for all of the reporting that you do. True journalism. You are truly one of a kind in your business, and I appreciate you taking the time. Thanks, Tommy. Great to be with you. Good to see you. All right, still ahead, the so-called Green New Deal never passed, but it's been ramrod into every bill since under the guise of infrastructure or COVID relief. The religion of climate change isn't going anywhere anytime soon, so how do conservatives address it and when? Well, I've got energy expert and author of Fossil Future, Alex Epstein, on deck with more next. You just reintroduced the Green New Deal. When you talk about big, expensive programs, uh, that's where you sometimes hit resistance, mm -hmm. I think. Um, mm -hmm. How do you convince those people, people who believe climate change is real, it is a crisis, but they're concerned that some of these proposed solutions are too grand or too expensive? Yes. Well, you know, I think it is important to acknowledge that the scale and the scope of what we are proposing is massive. Uh, but the scale and the scope of the climate crisis is even bigger. And if we are not proactive about very aggressively and transformationally addressing our infrastructure, our workforce, our preparation for the climate crisis, then the costs of not addressing it are going to be far greater. It's the religion of climate change, and while it sounds extreme to you and me and costly and stupid and job-killing, to young voters, it's the moral fight of their time. So how the hell do we talk some dollars and cents into these people? Joining me now with some tips is energy expert and author of Fossil Future, Alex Epstein. Alex, it's great to have you. And, of course, AOC, she's super excited because she's essentially had the Green New Deal passed under other titles many years ago, and it's only ramping up. But how do we address this moving forward into 2024 for those young people out there that really do consider climate change to be one of the foremost issues they're voting on? Well, I think so. There's, I think there's two aspects of it. What is really seeing the devastating cost of these kinds of policies? And then two is actually seeing how much of a threat or not we face from climate. So let's start off with the second, because you know, like the whole basis is notice she doesn't really care about the cost. And she said this before. It's like, oh, there's such a massive thing. Well, if you're predicting there's going to be a massive thing, I have one question for you, which is there a climate crisis today? And the answer is no, there's not a climate crisis. There can't be a climate crisis because human beings are far safer than we've ever been from climate. We can measure how many deaths we have from climate-related disasters like storms and floods, extreme temperatures, and those deaths have gone down, wait for it, 98% over the last century. So actually what we've done is we've taken a very naturally dangerous climate and we've made it unnaturally safe through things like irrigation, crop transport, building sturdy buildings, storm warning systems, heating and cooling, and all of those are based on 
fossil fuels. So there's this whole backwards narrative that fossil fuels have taken a safe climate and made it dangerous. They've actually taken a dangerous climate and made it safe. And if you really get that right now, we don't have a climate crisis at all, I'd argue of a climate renaissance, then it really diffuses this idea that it's going to get worse because AOC is pretending the world is terrible today. And if people get, wait a second, we're safer than ever from climate because we're so adaptable, we're so good at neutralizing climate danger. If you recognize that, then you recognize, wait, why, why is it going to be so different in the future? And it's really not. And on the other hand, what you see is, well, part of the reason we've gotten so good at dealing with climate and part of the reason the world has gotten so good is low-cost energy from fossil fuels. And that's what she's trying to destroy. So it's actually what we should be afraid of is the existential crisis of expensive, unreliable energy. That's what we've seen in Europe. And it's really scary that Europe has not been a wake-up call to AOC. She seems to consider it like... Uh, a motivating call that they've implemented 1% of what she advocates and been totally destroyed by it. She seems, oh, now let's just do it a hundred times more and it'll work great. Well, she's a moron. I don't think she actually cares about the climate or climate change. I think that she will do and say anything that will make headlines because that's all she's good for. But I want you to address for those out there that talk about the historic flooding that they had in California a few weeks ago or in Florida or every time they have a drought or a snowstorm or really any weather event, Everybody comes out of the woodwork on the left and says, see, climate change this is his mother Earth's wrath. This is what happens when we don't control climate. And this is what happens when humans are out of control. What do you say to those people? I mean, the first thing to say is, how can you know if there's a problem? And the only way you can know if there's a problem is not by any discrete event. You need to aggregate the events and see, number one, how many people are dying from them, and number two, how much damage is there. And as I show in my book, Fossil Future, and people can also check this out on energytalkingpoints.com, just search for floods or anything like that, you'll see that deaths are way down, as I mentioned, and damages are flat or down when you adjust for wealth and income. So again, like it's clearly just taking things out of context to say, hey, here's a storm and uh and it must have been caused by climate change and things are worse than ever. Oh, no, no, wait, things are better than ever. So maybe you should give fossil fuels some credit. And, you know, I would give these guys a slight credibility if even one out of 10 storms or incidents, they said, hey, this was better because of climate change. Like, how could climate change always be bad? I think it's what you said. It's the belief, this religious belief in Mother Earth having a wrath. That's what people just think there's this mother earth that's punishing us and therefore everything we do is bad and ruins things. That makes no sense scientifically that even if we were changing it mostly for the negative, which I don't think we are, it couldn't be all bad. And so it really shows it is a religion. Another thing I want you to debunk is this ongoing claim made by Pete Buttigieg and many others that somehow climate change is racist. And we need environmental justice because black and brown communities are suffering more than white communities when it comes to climate change. This is something that they've really run with and they're utilizing it in many, many ways, especially in their talking points. So I know that you've got a take on it. Set them straight. I mean, let's leave aside the issue of skin color. Poor people suffer disproportionately from lack of energy. I mean, let's forget the United States. Look, let's look around the world. We have three billion people using less electricity than a typical American refrigerator. When you have, when you don't have cost-effective energy, you can't have a modern economy. So yeah, people are suffering and more vulnerable when they don't have energy. It's this whole this whole narrative is totally backward. They say, oh well, these people are more vulnerable 
Therefore, we should take away fossil fuels. No, no, no. They're more vulnerable. Therefore, we need even more freedom to use fossil fuels so they can become less vulnerable to everything in the world. If, if you claim to care about poor people and your solution involves taking away fossil fuels, which provide 80% of the world's energy in a world that needs far more energy, you are either ignorant or disingenuous. Do you think we will see a country and a world in the next five to 10 years where we really will have a gas-powered vehicle ban and a gas stove ban and all these other radical policies that the left is introducing. If we do have another Democrat administration, are we moving in that direction? Do you see that as our foreseeable future? Well, I, I don't think it'll actually be manifested because it's it's sort of impossible without totally destroying everything. But you're going to see very bad damage done. So let's take California where I live. I forget if you're still here or not. Oh, no, but, I'm you in know, Tennessee, Newsom sir. <laughs> I got the oh, hell okay, out. No, that's Good right. luck to I, you, I though. forgot. <laughs> well, yeah, well, we still got the best weather, so it's, uh, it's, it's some tough trade-offs to make. So, yeah, Newsom, I mean, the perfect example, right, is California has still a pretty small percentage of EVs, and Newsom announced no more internal combustion engine vehicles, and five days later, he had to say, don't charge your EV because we don't have enough electricity. And by the way, don't cool your homes during a heat wave. The phenomenon is we are drastically reducing the supply of reliable electricity, and we are drastically increasing the demand for reliable electricity. This is a disaster. What we need is a free market where we can actually have more reliable electricity. And then if EVs can compete and actually win over consumers and there's actually enough electricity, great. But forcing more reliable electricity demand on a grid with less supply is just a pure recipe for disaster. It's so obvious, and it's coming. Well, I'm glad that you're out there setting the record straight. It was energytalkingpoints.com where folks can go to debunk the climate cults. Is that correct? Yeah, energytalkingpoints.com. And, and actually, you can subscribe to it at alexepstein.substack.com. And next month, there will be Alex GPT, which will answer all of your energy, environmental, and climate questions 100 times better than ChatGPT. So if you subscribe, you'll learn about that very soon. I love it. Alex, thank you so much for providing some reason. I hope one day you can get a hold of AOC because I would love to see that conversation. But until then, God bless <laughs> you and good luck in California. Thanks, Tommy. All right. Up next, Joe is running again, so they say, but I'm not buying it. My final thoughts are next. Joe Biden says he's running for re-election. Well, actually, he didn't say it. He put out a lame-ass video tweet. But nevertheless, it would appear Joe and Kamala are indeed giving this thing another whirl. God help us. It's time for Final Thoughts. So Joe Biden is apparently running in 2024, even though a whopping 70% of Americans really don't want him to. And Kamala is still his running mate because, well, once you dedicate yourself to a diversity pick, you can't go back. But folks, maybe I'm wrong, but I'm not buying any of it. I don't think Joe is going to be the nominee for 2024. I just don't. There is a reason his announcement was a Twitter video. He can barely articulate basic English as it is. So either Fauci is going to fund another viral outbreak, allowing Joe to campaign from the cage in the basement where his handlers keep him, or this is all just a front. I am still convinced Gavin Newsom is going to run. He's got Joe's back, all right, right before he shoves him off the cliff like Scar did to Mufasa. I think the Democrats are going to wait till the 11th hour and then pull the rug out from under Joe and hand it to Gavin Newsom. I assume Kamala will be paid off somehow and announce she doesn't want to run for president. Her price will be high, but I think she can be bought out of it. And I know this sounds like a far-fetched theory, but is it? 
Joe will be 82 years old by 2024. By the looks and sounds of him, I actually thought he was already 100, but that's beside the point. Democrats don't want him. They just don't want to render him useless for them until 2024. So they have to sit there and act like this re-election announcement is great. We all know it's not. And honestly, with the Democrat election machine as powerful as it is, Joe Biden, or a paper cup for that matter, has a shot of beating Trump. But DeSantis? That's another story, and the Democrats know it. Notice how Gavin goes after DeSantis almost exclusively and not Trump? And by all indications, Ron DeSantis is getting ready to announce. And if we're smart, we'll get behind him. It all comes down to Georgia, Arizona, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Nevada, and New Hampshire. Can Trump win those? Well, he didn't in 2020, and his endorsement didn't help and actually hurt in the 2022 midterms. So I get the Trump loyalty and why we love him, but can he win? Seriously? I would love for him to be my president again. I really would, but not my nominee. I think the man has been screwed over in a lot of ways, too, and it pisses me off. But that's not enough for me to knowingly walk off the electoral cliff with mega blinders on. I'm sorry. I'm shooting you straight. The GOP candidate needs to win independence and needs to win with women. A win with Latinos is another plus. Do you want to see Joe back in office in 2024 or worse, Gavin or Kamala? Me neither. So be smart. We can't afford to get this wrong. Those are my final thoughts. Be sure to check out our OutKick YouTube page. Like and subscribe from Nashville. God bless and take care.